The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Luxor, our recommended game of the week, discuss luck in gaming in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with the High Five Cooperative Games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? Doing great, Doug. How are you? I am fantastic. Couldn't be Good. better. Good. Well, that's great. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, we got some projects that are finishing up around the house. Got some good gaming in with my kids. Uh, school's about to start. Everything is looking up for yeah. for old man Kotecki. How about that, you? That's good. No, same. I know we just got done playing games with our kids. That was a lot of fun. You always seem to have a little glow, a little bounce in your step after playing some board games, huh? Yeah, it feels good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I can take a couple. That's a, I guess that's the thing is it's like I like board gaming in small doses. Um. Unless it's like an all-day type thing. Yeah. Like then if you I, prepare for it, right? Yeah. If I'm starting at like 11 o'clock and we're going to go for the whole – 11 o'clock in the morning and we're going to go for the whole day, awesome. I'll go until like 2 o'clock in the morning. If it's like a game night and you start at 6 or 7, by the time it gets to be 11, I'm like fried after yep. a full day of work. Um, but one or two games is is ideal for me. Good. Did you play anything interesting this week? Played Lost Cities. But Never heard know, of it. Do you know who no. the designer is? On no, that? I'm unfamiliar. Dr. Reiner Knizia. It's uh, your copy. Oh, you, okay. <laughs> you loaned me your copy. So. Well, that, there's too many. I, now yeah. I don't even know what. <laughs> um, was it still in the shrink? No, no. Lost Cities is an amazing game. It is, all the way from 1999. And, um, you know, you showed me that game a few weeks ago. I've heard a lot about it. It was on my want to playlist. And so play, played that. Played some more Zombie Kids. Uh Nothing really from a game schooler standpoint, just from an enjoyment standpoint a lot lately. 1999. That game is as old as my relationship with my wife. Well, congratulations. <laughs> so, oh, you didn't play any? What about the games we just played? Well, yeah, I didn't want to steal oh, all the oh, thunder. Don't, Go don't ahead. spoil it. Go uh, ahead. So we played two games, uh, My Little Scythe and Rec Raiders. My Little Scythe is by Stonemeyer Games. It started out as kind of a... Uh, it actually was a My Little Pony re-theme that's unbelievable. that somebody did online. And Scythe is a more complicated, heavier, um, complex game. And somebody made a My Little Pony version of it so he could play the same type of game with his kids. And uh, Jamie Stegmeyer, who's the owner or one of the owners, I don't know if yep. there's two of them, but... Um, took the design and they made it into My Little Scythe, kind of took the My Little Pony off of it and then published it. And it's a great game. That game shocked me. Yeah. It, it was awesome. I mean, it, the d- components, the gameplay. Yeah. And yeah. It, it just does a great job of, uh, to use a Michael McCabe term, it is a good game that scaffolds to full-blown Scythe. Yeah. You know, it's got all of those building blocks in there. Like Michael said, great components, and I imagine you'll be hearing about that in the near future if I were to make a, an educated yeah, that'll guess. that'll be a recommended game of the week here in the 40s or 50s, I bet. Um, and then we made uh, we played Rec Raiders, which is a, a game by Kids Table Board Games or Board Gaming. I'm not sure which one. And they've come out with some stuff recently, and they've got really good production quality. The game's about diving down to get treasure and some some dice placement and, and moving your divers around. It's yeah. got a lot of really interesting things going on. Something so. good is always happening. Even yes. if you get bumped, yeah. you still get goodies and tokens. So yeah. there, there's a little bit of take that, but the take that also ends in, in some happy times as well. Yeah. So you may be hearing about those in more detail in the future. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Anything else we need to talk about? No, man, about? let's get into the recommended game of the week. All righty. 
recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Luxor by Queen Games. Doug, give us the stats. Published in 2018, the designer is Rudiger Dorn. The art is by Dennis Lohausen. Two to four players, 45 minutes, ages eight and up. I may disagree with that one a little bit. And it was a 2018 Spiel des Jahres nominee. Uh, In Luxor, players move their adventurers through the temple with the goal of reaching the tomb in the middle of the game board. At the start of the game, each player gets dealt five cards, which they are not allowed to change the order of. In each round, players take turns that consist of three actions. They choose either the leftmost or the rightmost card to play to the discard pile. And then according to the played card, they move one adventurer that many tiles forward in the tomb. An adventurer may only move from tile to tile, jumping over empty spaces and not counting them. When the adventurer has completed his movement, he performs the action of that tile, if possible, depending on the tile. This can have various effects. Yep. Um, so some of the things that, that can happen when they land on a tile is they can get a key to go into the to the uh, tomb, the chamber, the the was it tomb chamber? Why where the sarcophagi is? Yeah. Um, they can get multiple adventurers on one tile or try and connect them there to get treasure tiles. They can get scarabs that are worth uh, extra points. So a lot of different things. And then after performing the action of the tile, players are going to draw one card from the draw pile to refill their hand to five cards. But the drawn card is placed in the middle of your hand. So you keep working out, working from the ends. Those are the only cards. Which is different. Very different. That's very different when you're used to playing cards out of your hand. And what do you and I both do when we have cards in our hand? I'm going to shuffle them and get them you in an organize order that I them. like. You yeah. can't in this no, game. No, they, they, they go yeah. in there. And at the start of the game, players can choose to move one of two adventures. Every time an adventure crosses over an Anubis statue, which are on the, the game board, they gain a new adventure, which starts at the, at the start of the track around the board. So you're adding more adventures as you go. And the game ends once two adventures reach the tomb. Uh, but in order to get into the tomb and collect the valuable sarcophagi, players need to have a key, which they collect from landing on Horus tiles. The round is finished, and the game ends with final scoring. The player who now has the most points is the winner. So that's yeah. a brief kind of gameplay, and that's really it. You're trying to race around this. Uh, You're racing a, and collecting around the board. Yeah, which is kind of a spiral board, a labyrinth that goes in on itself. The The tomb is in the center, and... So one of the things that that I like, which we're we're going to talk about now, is that unique card play. Yeah, you know, it's so it's popped up in a game like Bonanza. Yeah, but in Bonanza, it's set collecting, and you're trying to get your collections in your hand in order. Yeah, but this one, the idea of is you're always taking from the right or the left hand side, and the new one always goes in the middle. I and, think it does something a little bit different to my brain when I play it because there's also the race element, right? Yeah. Like I'm racing to get into the tomb chamber, but I have to have the right stuff when I get in there, and I have to play the cards in my hand in a certain order. It's just a very different feeling well, from a lot of the other games that we've recommended. Yeah, and you're scoring, and, and that's the thing. is like you can race to get into the, the thing, but you're losing, leaving a lot of points on the table behind. if you do that. And there's you get points for... Um, you know, if you get the sarcophagi, there's points on there, but you're also getting rewarded for how far each of your adventurers is in those score points. You get points for, uh, collecting sets of tiles of treasure tiles and the treasure are worth points by themselves. And so there is that race element, but similar to Clank, which we talked about in the past, there is that little bit of push your luck on, well, how far do I kind of stay around to pick up more treasure? And you have to keep an eye on what the other person is doing. Yeah, and the thing that the the thing I also like about with the the hand order is it's very interesting because if you've got, uh, say a three, you know, a three movement on the left side of your hand, you might just keep playing from the right into the right until you that perfect time. You know, you can get some special cards in here that may allow you to move up to one to six spaces. That's hugely yeah. valuable and flexible. But like you can save that on the on the left hand side and only play it when you really need right. it. 
and trying to manipulate. And, and so th- that card play is so unique. It's not in a lot of games. Well, as you're, you're talking about, you have two options, but you only have two options. So yeah. how do you want to optimize that? Yeah. yeah. The other thing I like about it is is the, and this is from a game schooling uh lens is the idea of the order of operations mm, yeah, right say and, more about that and thinking about okay i've got it's not just you to to piggyback on what you said you said well you've got two choices you have only two choices but what's behind those two choices and where your adventurers are on the board are just as important of saying okay i can move this one to here especially and here's where the tricky part comes in is collecting those treasure tiles. Yeah. Because some of the treasure tiles you cannot collect unless you have three of your own adventurers on a single tile. So you're thinking, okay, I can move this guy too. My next card on the left is a one. I can move that guy. Now I've got two guys there. And now I can jump and use my three to get the last guy over there. So there's that if this, then that, then that. Yep. Order of operations that you have to go through to try and accomplish some of these goals. In a game with very simple turns, though. Yes. That's, that's the thing. Although yeah. there's that thinking and in, in, in board gamer talk, you know, it's it can be crunchy, but it, it's still very simple. I'm playing one of these two cards, uh, cards out of my hand. I'm going to move one of these characters. Well, so. no, those are the clean rule yeah. sets, right? That's yeah. what, one of the common things that you see repeatedly in that Spiel de Jahres nominee games is that the, the rules are simple, but the meat behind the rules and the way that you can manipulate You've things and strategize, yeah. that's where it's it's at, where you can play. And you can play with somebody that's not even thinking on that level and they can do okay. Or you can play with a bunch of gamers who are really dissecting it. Yeah. And I that flexibility to go from non-gamer to gamer and have enjoyability amongst the entire group is something that's unique, and I think that's often found in those Spiel de Jahres so winners. I want to take this in a little bit different direction here. In the opening stats, and you talked about it's a Spiel de Jahres nominee, so basically game of the year, mm-hmm. um, eight and up. You're like, eh, let's talk a little bit more about that for a recommended game of the week. And I know age can be, there's a variance, right? Subjective to yes, every child. Yes, yep. especially... You know, if you have an eight or nine or ten year old who's played a lot of games, that's very different than an eight or nine or ten year old who hasn't. But where do you think this game fits in on that age grade level scale? I think somebody that is eight can play this game. Yeah, I agree okay. with that. But how and, about and in to, terms of skill development? That's where you start getting up into that ten and eleven. I think you get to where you know, and and that's only going to grow with the gamer. Right. I think your entry point probably is 10 years old for skill development to start putting some of those. I mean, I just start to see it in, in, in Emily, my oldest, where it is thinking of like, if I do this, then I can do that on my next turn. Those are emerging skills that are happening right now at 10. And I think you take that to that next step further of, yeah, if this, then that is great. But do, do you have the third order in mind of what you're going to do next? That's where we get into 15, 16, 17 years old, right? Yeah. And I think this is a game that fits in that wheelhouse. Although the box says 8+, plus, when you get this game on the table and you see the artwork and it has that Indiana Jones feel, I do think this is one of those upper middle school even into high school games where you can get into looking at the design, trying different strategies, because the game goes quick once you know how to play. Yeah, I mean, you I, can I, get, a, get a game done in 20 minutes. It's one of those games that grows with the players. They're going to keep growing with it and and find new nuance and strategy the older they get and the more skills that they develop. You know, what you talked about there is if you're getting into the, the third level and that, that idea of, okay, I just brought this new card into my hand. How does that help or change my strategy too yeah. or what I can do? You know, maybe one, maybe you thought, well, I'll then take from the right. And it's like, well, the third card is great. Maybe, you know, the card in the middle, now you're thinking three moves ahead to get to that well, one. Well, it's not just always about the card. You want to land on specific tiles. Exactly. And that's yep. that's yep. where the game gets so fun. So the other things I've got on here is the – uh, opportunities for math in this game okay. are 
out of this world of, yeah. of counting one to three, and it's that. I mean, I'm not I'm not up on the the equation aspect of what all the types of equations are, but the idea of like adding adding numbers together to the idea of like okay, I can I can move this one two, and I can move this one four, and then this one lands on a there's some spaces i forget what they're called but they essentially they're like automatic movements they bump oh, yeah, you yeah, forward yeah. three spaces so it's like i have a card in my hand that can move, can move me one but one, it moves on to really that moving me three moving more, me yeah. three more yeah, spaces yeah. and so figuring out all those numbers and how they add up to at, land on the same tile those are interesting math problems yeah it's that's like, well, i can move this one too but then i've got a, like there's another card in there that allows you to move an adventure one space forward or one space, one space back. back. Yeah. So you get new wrinkles of I can move this guy one space back and land on the tile that shoots me forward three. And now I you know, I've got different movement that I didn't think was even possible. Well and it's by an experienced designer, Rudiger yep. Dorn, somebody that we've talked about before on the show whose games have been in the high five list. Yep. And it shows. Yep. Um, because not not only is it is it math, it's not just about what I do. Some of it is about what I'm seeing you do as well. Because yeah. I, I think in one of our initial games we played, I got out and just started racing and just started running ahead with one of my characters. Well, the problem with that, I left a whole lot of tiles that you were then able to come behind and clean up, ba-boom, ba-boom, yeah. ba-boom, and put them into your hand. Well, the other thing, too, that's a wrinkle yeah. on that is you, in order to get into that tomb, that chamber, you have to have the, the exact right movement. Yeah. You have to do it exact. So even though you're two spaces away, you can't play a three movement card. You have to play a two. And that's what happened in the one game where you got caught at the end and you could I not couldn't get into the tomb. Could not get yeah. that card. So, First time we played, we played this game back to back or three times. I mean, we, yeah. I think we played it twice in a row. Um, the the other piece with that, where was I heading to? Um, oh, one thing that I love about the game. You play your turn, you have that very satisfying feeling of playing the turn, and then picking up a card and putting it in the middle of my hand, so it's just, oh my goodness, how am I going to make this work? And so that um, solving one problem and getting a little bit of joy to then solve another problem, one of the, I, I love project management. I, I kind of, you know, yeah. that, that that's in this game. It's well, like crossing it off of a checklist. If I did this, ooh, now what am I going to do with this card? And it's not in a frustrating way. No, it's in and, a how am I going to make this work? And that's one of the things that I like it on an, an efficiency level. Oh, uh, I bet. Like, I you, bet. Have yeah, to, you have to move efficiently of how do I get all of these pieces to work together. Yeah, you want to optimize Without it. wasting movement. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is... I think you may have mentioned it, maybe not, but the idea of it, this is another game where it always seems like you're accomplishing something. You're always working towards a path. There's not yeah, really I, any... I didn't touch on that. Go ahead. Really any bad turns where you're like, oh, that was kind of a waste. It's like, you're, you know, as tiles get removed from the board, you skip over those spaces. You don't even land on them. So it's not like you're, yeah. you're landing on a whole bunch of empty spaces. You're always doing something. And the idea that there's multiple scoring paths lead to that as well. You're picking up treasure. You're picking up scarabs. You're trying to make sets. You're trying to get into the chamber. There's a lot of different little avenues that you can use to score points over the course of the game. And I think that's one of those, that criteria that leads to the idea of, it seems like you're always accomplishing something. Right. Any nitpicks, Doug? Well, I have one one have more, more one more, more thing I wanted to here? bring it. Yeah, one more thing I wanted to point out is I think that this is a really good rule book. The rule book's outstanding. Where it has it's it's laid out well and it has examples. You know, so there's exam turn examples all over the rule book. Queen Games is a publisher of this one, and they usually do a pretty good job of having those type of examples of, you know, Billy Bob does this. Yeah. And and going through turns and a lot of times when you read a rule book, it can say the exact same stuff, but if you don't have that turn example, sometimes it just can feel kind of nebulous and like how abstract unless did, you've got the whole you thing. Did you just use Billy Bob as a made-up student in our classroom, in our game schooling classroom? Yes. <laughs> Do you know a Billy Bob? No. Well, he's from <laughs> rural Wisconsin. <laughs> hey, hey, easy, easy. Okay. Do you know a Billy Bob? I've never met a Billy Bob. 
Um, you know, other than Thornton, you know, and never, I, and I haven't met him in real life. Just no. watched so many of the movies. All right, I don't. I need think to I've only known one much, Billy in my life. I, I, I've been I've been working on actively listening. And when you said Billy Bob, did he say Billy or Billy and Bob? No, so, just Billy. Billy Bob. Bob. Yeah. Okay, Billy Bob Jones. Um, and all right, no, I don't have. I could not think of any nitpicks. My only nitpick, and I'm sure you'll fight me on this a little bit, uh, although. This game is fantastic. The art, the components are good. All the things that we're talking about, you know, easy to learn, but can scale all the way up to high school. The theme isn't one where, yes, it feels like you're going on an adventure, but when I play it, I don't get the Egypt vibe. I don't. So I, like I said, such a little nitpick, but if you are thinking, oh, I'm going to tie this in with Egypt or, oh, I'm going to tie this in with, 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 you know the pyramids that's not what this is this is a game where you can develop a ton of skills but i didn't see a, a direct tie-in do, do you disagree with that i feel like if it's on the scale of do i feel like indiana jones do i feel like i'm i'm uh an archaeologist no but i do feel like the art uh the symbolism yeah. the hieroglyphs and the the Anubis and the Horus and Sarcophagus. Like, yeah. I feel like it does for a, a very numbery game, you know, name a game that's got a bunch of numbers and kind of thinkiness. I do think it does a fairly decent job of putting me in that world. Yeah. Compared to a lot of other games that I've played where I'm like, this, I do not feel like I'm doing anything like that. So I, I think I'm just thinking of some of those middle school social studies classes where somebody may be thinking, oh, I can tie this in. No, you can, you can develop a ton of skills with your kiddos that we're about to talk about, but it, it, there's not a direct tie-in to. I think some you could do that with some Egypt. of the symbolism, though, and the okay. the, the Egyptian gods. Like, it's not going to be a direct tie into the 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 game but i can see you could you could be talking about hieroglyphs you can be talking about egyptian gods and you know what yeah. how they revered the beetles scarab you know that type of thing and maybe um, it's not even a nitpick i just didn't want to give the wrong idea because we are recommending this game so highly it yeah. is a fantastic yeah. game and and so just wanted to bring that to our listeners okay so one of the new things that we're going to try going forward is we talk a lot or in passing, we talk a lot. Can you yeah. tell? Uh, in passing, we've talked uh, before about this idea of of core skills, and this is a group of skills that we have identified that are in every game. Every so they're game. showing up in every game that that you can play, regardless of quite frankly whether the game is good or not, or that it's in, especially in the games that we're recommending. And we want to take some time, and each one of us, out of our list of five skills each week going forward, is Both going... Both of us. There's not a third or fourth person in here, but you're right. right each one I, of us. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. Each of us singly will, <laughs> will once is going to take one of the core skills and, and emphasize one that we think that this game really excels at teaching. Um, so for my first one is problem solving. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and that's a game that rewards players for finding solutions to simple or complex problems. That number crunch that needs to go on from your hand to the board, you are constantly thinking about creative solutions yep. of how you can accomplish what you want. To from do. the first turn. And I yes. feel like it ramps up in the game. Yeah. And that race element's not just with the characters on the board. There's an intensity to this to yeah. this game yeah. that's in there. Yeah. What's your core skill? So I have direction following. Okay. Am I okay to go into that one? I know it's no, not one great. that we've talked a ton about, yep. and it's on the draft list. But I, I, I was actually going back and forth between problem solving and direction following and decision making. There are just so many things in this game. But students will develop the ability to follow instruction in every game they play. To do the fun part, play the game, students will need to learn the constructs of each game and follow the directions in each created game world. The the fact that I can't pick that card that's in the middle of my hand, which I, I want to do, yeah. that I must play from the ends, there's just some mechanics that work really well together, but they are different in this game. And I feel like when 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 I've played it, 
there's a, a fun factor to it that comes up because it's different from other games I've played. Yeah. But I also think that that's important. Well, it's forcing, the, and, and that's a good one because I feel like it's forcing you to do something that's unnatural. Yeah. That you're not used to doing. And it's reminding you every turn that you need to follow the direction of the game, which is you have to put the card in the middle and you can only play from the ends, which go, you know, so it's a lot of times there's a, a rule and, and, and some of them are very intuitive. Yep. This one is not intuitive. And in order to play the game properly, you, you have, have to, to follow do, it. You have yeah. to do something that's not intuitive. So and I think that's a great one. And same thing with the wind conditions, you know, getting into the tomb, all those little pieces along the way, there there's almost a subset of rules that have to be followed yeah. in, in order to get the payoff and reward. All right, so moving on to some of the other skills, I think uh, I'm sure this one's on your list. I'd be shocked if it wasn't, which is spatial perception. Spatial perception. Game that strengthens the student's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. I don't know that we need to go into more detail on that. Uh, but I, I felt my spatial perception improving uh, after I played the game. Yeah. Suddenly figure. I knew that my, my house faced south, and I, I knew that <laughs> you lived to the west of me. I, I mean, I, I just... It was yeah. Trying to figure out where you, how, and where to get the people, your adventurers, where they need to be. You have to and and what treasures may be taken at a moment's notice. Yep. That you thought you were going to try and get are no longer there. And in a different way than a Catan or other games where there's a, a map that kind of shows up yeah. or changes from game to game. This spatial perception because the race is on a rectangle it's it's you still have to do that in your head you're doing the math with every turn so. yeah all right what else you got i i have logistics mm-hmm. and um logistics i should have written down the definition but thanks for the stall there a little professional radio moment a game that allows students to manage production flow between the point of origin and consumption you have to have the right pieces in play as you move along. Doug talked about my uh, bad moments in gaming where I, I got a character that's right to the new, end but new, wasn't able to get to into the tomb because I didn't gonna have the right stuff. That's going to be a new segment on, yeah. our, our, on our show, the bad Michael's bad moments in gaming. No, Michael, that's green. Brought to you by Doug. <laughs> Yeah, and the more we play games, the the richer that segment will be. Yeah. So, um, But there's... That skill, I think, improves, but the only caveat I want to say, I think somebody has to at least have the understanding. So you could play this game with an eight- or nine-year-old, and they may not really develop that sense of logistics that they get when they play A Ticket to Ride or one of our other games. But I think when you're playing with you know somebody in that middle school range, um, you can really start to hammer on and develop that skill. Yeah, and I think in order to do that, you need good resource management. Oh, uh, Segway, which is a game that boosts a student's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee their available assets. In this game, their available assets are their movement cards, and figuring out how to use those efficiently and and map out some sort of short-term order for them and plan for them is important. And again, we've talked about this in the past, where a lot of times when people think about resource management, they're thinking about, well, I'm going to turn in three wood and turn it yeah. in four brick, and I'm going to build a house. This one, the assets and the resources that you have are those movement cards that are stuck in the order that they are in your hand. I'm going to go backwards one so that I can move forwards three and end up on that tile. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. And the game, we talked about the ramp up. We talked about um, the intensity, and that's where I have responsiveness as another skill. That's a game that tests a student's mental reaction time. Not a game where a kid can be on the phone or hanging out or doing other things. You really need to be involved in this game. Yeah. And if you are, I, I do feel like uh, it's one of those games, I think we talked about this in Forbidden Island, where um, the more you play it, there are just a few tricks in there that, that you get to see and moving characters through. So I, yeah. I see the responsiveness skill improving. When I think that's part of uh, tactical thinking, which is a game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently in available and frequently changing information so there's frequently the cards that you're adding to your hand or the card each time each turn that you have you're adding a new card but then as things are changing on the board circumstances change and you know we talked about some of those treasures like i've got to get two treasures on or two adventures on that treasure yeah and i've got one there and michael's got one there michael beats me to it that treasure is gone right and so now 
now what am I doing? Now those plans that I had, that card I was going to play that was perfectly going to move that adventure where I needed them to be is no longer relevant. Yeah. What do so you do next? Mix it up. Yeah, my skills are gone, but I can keep talking about the game. I see okay. two more on the list that are jumping out for honorable mention, but go right. ahead. The two, I've got two more. I put yep. uh, time management is okay. one, a game that improves the student's ability to organize and plan how long they spend on specific activities before running out of time. So there is no live ticking clock nope. in this game, but you do have to look at where your opponents are, how close they are to getting to that chamber, how much time you have? Do I have enough to try and complete this set? Should I try and race to get up to the to the sarcophagi? What am I doing towards that end game? Because it becomes clear, and 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 it's a thing of okay, I can't get a treasure, but I can move this guy closer, which is going to give me yeah. five more points because he's closer, and and managing those. Um, and then the last one I have is competition, Ooh, which is one. a game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal or reward that isn't shared. And what I like about this game is you're competing with the race element. And yes, some treasures and things like that may get stolen from you throughout the game that are little sore points. But going back to the idea that it always feels like you're accomplishing something and yep. moving forward, it erases those bad feelings faster than other take that or overly competitive games so you said competence or competition there competition competition okay yeah Yeah, i had confidence and resilience as two honorable mention skills i was like i I have to at least mention it Mm -hmm. um i think if you have um, kiddos who are not as experienced in the game schooling environment this is a great game to get into because all the things we talked about with the rule book and, and, and you have that good feeling that Doug just talked about in competition I think the confidence is there and if you hang in there and play I do think you become a, a more resilient person all right so that is our recommended game of the week Luxor uh, should be widely available I know there's an expansion available for it so if you try it out and you really like it and you want more of it there is more of it available. Luxor by Queen Games, our recommended game of the week. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. He's back. I'm back, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. Yes, they can go together. This week, we'll be talking about luck in gaming. I hope they go together. It's the whole crux of our podcast. <laughs> It'd be unfortunate if it didn't. Uh, somebody will point that out to us. There's, Excuse me, sir. There's a fatal flaw in your whole process and your entire existence. I don't like your impression of me, Doug. Go that, ahead. That was not tell, you. Are tell, you going to troll tell, us? Tell us You're trolling us on yourself? Oh. Have you been sending those yeah, emails to me? me. I All have right. the burner account set up. <laughs> uh, not a fan at mm-hmm. gmail.com. All right. So luck in games. Uh, I'm sure people have experienced this in any board game that they've ever played. Uh, especially going back to the ones that you kind of grew up with. I rely on it. You know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, see, there's a lot of luck. Do you like luck in games? Do I need to explain more what luck is? I hope I don't. Just give a a Random chance. Yeah. You know, things that just happen out of nowhere, you can't control them. Not strategy. Your lottery ticket moment. All right. Do you like luck in a game? Absolutely. It's part of the, the balance between luck and strategy. Uh, is is what I love about games. Here's my answer, which would kind of lead into the, the next part, is it's like, I love it to an extent. Yeah. Right, in there moderation. There has to be the strategy. Yes. So the idea is if, if you've got too much luck, it's just random chaos. There's yeah. nothing. You're not, you're not going to develop any skills with a game that's entirely based on luck. Yeah. It's just parenting in my house. Yeah, luck. <laughs> yeah. Hope it turns out okay. Yeah. You're doing a bang-up job. Um so there's that concept of, right? That you can't have too much luck yeah. or you're not going to learn anything. However, in my opinion, if it's all strategy and absolutely no luck, it takes the, the randomized chance events is what adds that uh, spark of excitement to a yep. game. If it's just, you know, and that's probably why I'm not a huge fan of chess or something along those lines where it's like, it's just straight up my strategy versus your strategy. 
which I also think is hard to, harder to develop skills in that environment either because there's uh, you need to build up both players. Using chess, for example, you have, and I'm not saying, please don't write to us saying that I said Doug that you, hates chess. Keep, you ca- keep telling people. <laughs> yeah, you can't learn any skills from chess. My concern is is that a game that relies entirely on strategy forces the other player to be at the same or equivalent yeah, level. Same level. Level of play. For it to be competitive. Yeah. And unfortunately it's it's the equivalent of me playing full on basketball with my daughter and just blocking her shot every time. Yeah. And that is not a confidence builder. <laughs> I'd like to yeah. see that though. Can you put that I out can. on our Instagram? <laughs> yeah, I will. Go ahead, Emily, take a shot. No, I'm not going to. I swear I'm not going to block it this time. I'm not going to do it. Wham! Get out of here. All right, getting back to the topic of luck in gaming, do you think that people uh, create their own luck sometimes That in some of the games that we've talked about? That's a personal philosophy, Michael. There you go. I I feel like you can set yourself up um, for luck to to swing your favor, Yeah, uh, but it's not a guarantee. You know, well, you know, it's a luck. It's yeah. chance. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think there is people do create their their own luck. If it's if it's a matter of, you know, these these three things are going to pay out, and I've got a ticket in each one. Yep. You can mitigate some of that luck, and I and that's another portion of of gameplay, right? Is games that allow you to to mitigate that chance. Games that you're rolling dice in, but you have an ability to sometimes manipulate those dice or or change them or use them in a different way. Yeah, and I think the games that we've recommended, our recommended games of the week, the 35 thus far, it hasn't been a single nitpick where we've said, oh, this game is just, it's really lucky. Oh, we we don't really like it because there's too much luck. And I think that goes to the design of where games are at right now, especially the, the family and the classroom games that we've been recommending. There's some luck involved in it, but not at the detriment of the gameplay. Yeah. I think a game with too much luck is one of those games that you play once, you maybe laugh at it, and then it goes back onto the shelf never to be seen again. Do you have an example, even if it's an educational game or from our childhood or uh, just so some of our listeners would be like, oh, that's what they're talking about with luck in games. A game from our childhood with, well, like, I mean, sorry. Yeah, Shotkin's Trouble. You know, is uh, a game that appears way too much in my house. Yeah, tr- Trouble is a good one. You know, where yeah. it's just it just dependent on the roll of the dice. It has nothing to do with the popper, with your skills, and you play it, and it's just like, well, that's that's great, you know. But you know, some party games. It's like, here's the thing: if if you win a game by luck, there's nothing to feel accomplished about. Yeah, and part of building skills is building confidence and building kids confidence in their abilities and if their abilities if, if they won was based entirely on a roll of dice that they just happened to get yep it doesn't do much right it, it's like it's like that instant gratification that's just like well i'm i really want this cheeseburger now and then i just eat the whole big cheeseburger and then i feel like a big blob of garbage big cheeseburger yeah the the thing that my my notes that I have coming into today for this is that kids know when there's too much luck. And a quick example, you know, we talked about trouble, and I've talked about Shopkins' trouble on this game and Olaf's Olaf's ice adventure. Um, games that when, when my five year old was three, we'd play because they were. It's a one button game. Push yeah. the button in the middle, move the character. And at, at age three, it's fine and it's fun. Well, by the time they're end of four, early five, suddenly they can't get a single character out because they never pop a one or a two. You know, the sorry example, they never yeah. flip the right card, the one or the two, and they can't get out of home. They don't want to play that game anymore. They want to go get a, a, a Sushi Go or a Sleeping Queens or a game that I yeah. can actually play. Here's the th- and the kids know when there's too much luck involved. Well, that- here, here's the thing. Uh, here's a great example is Candyland. All right, you draw a card in Candyland that has a treat on it that sends you all the way to the end of the trail. Congratulations! You did nothing. You flipped over a card, and the, the, you know I got the, lucky. The yeah, the other part of that, which I thought you were going to say on there, is the idea of like, 
luck in games brings more tears yeah. and disheartening frustration frustration from yeah. kids than any other type of game. If there's too much of it. Yep. Because they're at, at a certain point, anytime that happens, they're going to get screwed over by the dice or by yeah. something, and they can't understand it. They don't understand that it's just luck. It's nothing that they did. They tend, you know, my kids anyway have taken it personally, like, well, why am I losing? Yeah. And it's like, because the cards came out in a weird way, and it has nothing to do with you as a, a yeah. person, a gamer, a human being. So let's talk about why we do like a little bit of it in games, because we've, we've gone yeah. on just a smash festival. Yeah, I hate luck. As soon as you brought up chess, then I brought up <laughs> trouble, and we just yeah, kind of went back and forth. Let's talk about that, games that we personally it. hate, because both. I love chess, ladies and gentlemen. Send all your chess hate mail, <laughs> not to me, <laughs> that goes to Doug. Um, I did watch the Queen's Gambit, so I'm pretty yet. familiar okay. now. Uh, the thing I like about luck in games and that twinge, the, the, the little amount of, of luck, is that to me, that has real-world implications. Yeah. Is we can't control everything in our life all the time. Every once in a while, something you get that uh, free coupon in the mail that's like the Monopoly thing that you just get. Yeah. And, you know, it's... It, you know, I love that tactical thinking. You know, that's a skill that is near and dear to my heart. Luck provides that ability to adapt to the thing that got thrown into you, whether it's positive or negative. You know, if yeah. if, if a card gets flipped over and it says you lose two apples, now I just got to adjust with it. Now, if the whole game is about me finding out whether I'm winning or losing apples, not fun. Yeah. But being able to adjust to that, I think, is a real-world skill that helps people cope with good and bad and level out, you know, level their reactions to those. Yeah, and I see it a little bit differently. I, I like that perspective. I, I like luck in gaming because it brings fun mm -hmm. to the table in a well-designed game. Yeah. When something happens and everyone at the table is like, oh, that's awesome. Look at her. Oh, man, I can't believe you got that card. I was waiting for that card. Yeah. You, uh, it adds it, the excitement. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what you want in the classroom, right? Yeah. You want excitement. You want enthusiasm. Yeah. You want people I, engaged. Yeah. I think that's right there. You just hit it on the head. As I think a, a fraction of luck increases engagement, and it creates that unknown. Yep. Right. And it's like, if you know every turn and every move that everybody's going to make and everything that could possibly happen in the game, it's boring. Yes. It gets boring. For for some people at the yeah. table. Yeah. It and might be fun for one person, but the other three playing might just be looking at... A majority of people, yeah. Yeah. that yeah, little, little shot in the arm of, of the unknown makes it... It's like watching a movie you've watched before. I can watch a movie that I've watched before and really like it, but it's never as good as the first time. When you don't know where that story is going, we better move on. I, I disagree with that something because I have some movies that I watch at least once a year, and That's I love fine. them. That's fine. I love them. But I, but if they if that first experience was not amazing, you wouldn't go back to it. Yeah, but I think I understand. We got to move on. I, we, <laughs> this is a different argument. We'll take offline. Yeah. Either way, I think that unknown adds adds an excitement Agreed. to the game. Yep. All right. So that is luck in games. Let us know. Uh, send us an email, email at gameschooler.com, and let us know what you think about luck in games. Email at gameschooler.com. That's where you should send us an email. Good. Uh, so <laughs> so let's move on to the high five. Not so high five this week. A little bit bigger. The high 15? Uh, we'll see. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week's high five is a big one because it includes a high five list of family-friendly cooperative games. And in a game schooling setting, this is a huge genre. So I may have bitten off more than I can chew. You couldn't narrow it down to five, Douglas? I could not okay. at all. Without, <laughs> well, it's, without it's your feeling, segment. <laughs> yeah, without feeling bad to designers, publishers, and our audience at large. Hey, man, tell people about great games. It's your All segment, right. Rocket. What do you got? Okay, these are some... How many number fives do you have? I should just start off by asking that. There's five. <laughs> along. There, there's five fives, and then there's uh, three other um, more on top of that. Mention. Yeah, Mechs and Minions, Lord of the Rings, Journeys to Middle in Middle Earth. That's a great game that's app-driven. Um, 
a little bit pricey. Hold on, you're going too fast. Here. No, these we, are honorables. I just, right, I just right. want to lay them out. Doug, Doug, Doug. Yeah, it's our podcast. We I'm don't excited. have a radio show. Okay, okay. Go ahead. What are the Maximinians? Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth. Yep, the app-driven game, and then a cool cooperative dexterity game, Flip Ships. Oh, which yeah. is just fun to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's not not a, a genre that pops up very much. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Flip ships. It's kind of like Space Invaders, mm. but you're uh, flip flicking your ships, trying to hit different uh, aliens. All right. So moving on. Number five or number number, number five, 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 ten. Number ten is going to be then it, the only reason this is actually one of my favorite cooperative games, but it's number ten because of. The subject matter, okay, which is Chronicles of Crime. Oh yeah. So if oh. you've got that that high school range, this is going to be perfect. I think there's a couple of expansions that, um, you know, you're dealing with crime and and stuff like that. the The good news on this one though is that there's a kids version that they are working on that's going to be coming out that's similar. I wouldn't shy away from this one in middle school, high school. Just treat it like you would. I mean, preview it. You know, play it, play it at home before you play it that day. Yeah. Uh, you got time for a quick true story about this? Yeah. I had this game in my hand yesterday because Barnes & Noble has a 25% off. So I had Chronicles of Crime in one hand and the Lost Ruins of Arnak in another. And I walked up to the front and I said, do I get my educator's discount on top of the 25% off? I was hoping to stack them. She said no. So I put it back on the shelf because like you said i'm on the hunt for a great deal but that is an awesome game so did you almost came home to my collection no i i put it back i I'm, okay I'm, well that another time okay so next one is this would be number nine this is five minute mystery and i like this one as a compact fast-paced deduction game and it takes five minutes it takes five minutes and so it's a really interesting concept you flip over uh a uh, card and you're looking for four different symbols secretly buried into the card, yep. which then you need to put into this little codex that gives you a clue. And if you're right, you get to reveal something about the criminal that you're looking for. And it works really well. I have not had anyone disappointed after they've played it. You love this game. You play well, it with all different types of groups well, and I and think people, it, right? Yeah. Cause I think it's, it does a good job of, I'm usually not a fan of speed games, which this one is. I feel like it eliminates alpha players. Everybody's involved, and you're working towards a common goal. There's no time mm -hmm. to dilly-dally. So uh, pretty high on my list because of that. What do you uh, have in number five, then? <laughs> number five, uh, the eighth number five, is going to be Forbidden Island. Oh, great And this Has this been a recommended game yeah. yet? Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Forbidden Island. So if you want to look back, let me look that up to see where when we talked about that. Um, Forbidden Island is kind of a uh, a step up to Pandemic. So if you are interested in Pandemic, you might want to try this one out first, uh, especially if you've got younger kids. That would work out well for that one. Forbidden Island, we talked about that in episode 17. And there's going to be a lot of we've we've had a lot of cooperative games we have, yep. in some of our, our recommended games. So some of these are going to be familiar to to a lot of you folks. The next one we talked about last week, which is uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, that came out in 2016, which is why we talked about it last week. And to be clear, we mentioned that one in episode nine was our recommended game of the week. Harry Potter, Hogwarts Batter, ba Battle, a deck-building game. Everybody here, everybody here. Her -der -der -der. The, this is similar to Forbidden Island, where it's a, yeah. a ramp-up game. It teaches you how deck-building works, and it goes to... Uh, you can branch off from that one, maybe play something like Clank afterwards. So that is Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle number seven. I'm still on five, but keep yeah. going. <laughs> Uh, the next one is Castle Panic. Oh, another great game. I can see why you had a tough time with this list. Uh, that was episode 25. We talked about Castle Panic in great depth. But this is your uh, defending your castle against the horde of monsters that are trying to attack it. And the thing I like about this game is it it is one of those few games that offers selflessness for the greater good of the team. Yeah. And you are giving away really cool cards to 
they're because they're more beneficial to the next player uh, in turn order. So what's different about this from some of the other cooperatives is how the pieces move on the board too. The yeah. board is constantly shifting all yeah. while trying to keep the castle walls up. And you really feel like you are as a group back to back fighting off the monsters that are coming in. You know, it's a your your castle's in the center and all of the monsters are constantly moving in every turn. And so there's that constant pressure and you really feel like you're working together. Everybody has that joint ownership yep. because we're all sharing one space. It's not like some of the other cooperative games where you're like, oh, I'm over here protecting this right. area. You're over there protecting that one. No, you're all in the same area That's protecting one thing. Uh, so that is the last, uh, second to last, number Rondon, five. Number five now, Doug. All right. The real number five is Just One, uh, which was another recommended game of the week. And that one is on the list because it's a, a party style game, yeah. which is rare for a party game and a word game. I think this has up to eight players. If I'm not mistaken, I could be. We talked about it in, in more detail, episode 21. So if you want to go back into that one, uh, just one is where everybody's uh, trying to help somebody guess a word that they've pointed at and they write down a one word clue. The trouble is if, if, multiple people write down the same clue those clues are erased and the, the guesser doesn't even see them and so and they can guess just once to try and guess the word that game has won a ton of awards yes definitely was that the spiel de jars winner i'll check on that keep going may have been nominated uh just one let me just check here yeah spiel de jars nominee winner 2019 yep, 2019 and that information's on our website too uh, under each game, you can look that up. What's in a number four, Doug? Number four is an entire series of games, which is the Unlock series. Well, how do you, what, what, you want me to pick one of those? No, uh, I love this high five. This is uh, definitely going to be the PR. You went from having 13 games, now we're up in the about 42 games, the Unlock series. Keep going. Yeah, 42 games, yeah, if you count them all individually. <laughs> no. The Unlock series is, an, is a, a game that requires an app, but you are... It's basically an escape room in a box, and you are looking for clues on the cards. You're trying to connect different things. There's, you know, I found a key here. Oh, wow, there's a padlock over here. Connect them it's up. It's puzzly. And then yeah. you're getting a new card. It's like, oh, we unlocked the cabinet. Here's what's in the cabinet. Take out these cards. And it's just a fun, unique experience. I think it maxes out at three players, four players maybe. Two, um, to, two to six, it says, but best is two to three players. Yeah. My, my wife and oldest daughter, Josie, really enjoy the Unlocked and the Exit games alike. And um, I I'm I don't care for them a ton myself, but the boy, to see the the joy that people get out of it, and I think there's a lot of skill-building opportunities in yeah, that. The, yeah, the problem-solving that's happening is off the charts. Yep. The thing I like over about the Unlocked series over the... Uh, exit is the exit games are destructive. So once you play them once, they're, they're done. done. Yeah. The unlock, you can reset and play them over, give them to a family member. If you play enough of them, like I do, I can't remember what any of them, <laughs> you know, I, I played one the other day with my daughter that I had already played. And, and you had no idea? No, we almost lost because I was like, how does this even go together again? Like, so... The idea that they're not replayable, yeah. I think, is like if you play one and you remember it perfectly, no, it's not replayable. If you take three of them, you've been exposed to so many puzzles right. that you know you might remember one or two, three, three things every time you play. But and the other thing I like about unlock games is I feel like it gives everybody at the table kind of has their shining moment. That's a good point because there's puzzles that work different parts of your brains and we are all wired differently. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I could be banging my head against the wall and then somebody, somebody else says, just sees the solution. It's yeah. this. And yeah. you're like, oh, that's awesome. And it's yeah. like, I don't know how you made that connection, but you did. And I feel like everybody, every time I've played this, everyone at the table has at least one turn yeah, that's to true. shine and be the superstar for the group. Great game, great genre for indoor recess, library, after-school programs. I think there's just a lot of good social interaction in those games as well. So the number three is Marvel United, which we talked about in episode one. That was one. our very first episode. Um, 
Marvel United is another game that allows players to work selflessly to help set up other players the way that you share cards amongst There's awesome two. characters in it too. It's there's, fun. There's you feel a- like you're you're yeah. the Hulk. You yeah, there's awesome like characters in the Man. base game. There's some expansions that you may be able to get. Some? I'm not too sure. Well, there's a ton, but I don't know how many of them are Kickstarter exclusive. I know there's an X-Men version coming out um, in retail soon. Those are all going to be mix and matchable. So there's a lot of content in this game, different villains, and uh, and unique, unique experience where it's not not very easy to alpha game in this one. Yeah. You can kind of tell people what you may need, but sometimes you just don't have the cards to help everybody. Well, each the character way you want is a to. little bit different based on the their hero abilities yeah, and powers, the, which I think is comics, such an awesome yeah. awesome design. So what they may have Feature, more yeah. more uh, strength. Their strengths and weaknesses are are represented in each each hero. All right. So number two, I debated on this one, but I put down on here, and this is based on personal experience. Pandemic Legacy. Yeah, I was waiting for a pandemic season one, because I feel like if you are familiar with Pandemic, the first game of Pandemic. This is a legacy game, so you're going to be playing it over twelve. I, the, each game that you play is a month, okay? Yeah. And if you lose a month, you replay that month. So why pandemic legacy season one versus the over, base game over regular? Yeah, for a game schooling sense, where do you see skill development? And, and I think and, from the idea of the other games that were on the list, wanting to have a mixture of stuff for younger players, older players. I think if you're familiar with Pandemic somewhat, Mm -hmm. your first game of Pandemic Legacy is essentially going to be basic Pandemic. Each new game is going to add new wrinkles and elements through the Legacy. Cool. The story arc of the game over those 12 games, I think is going to keep, if you're playing this in a a homeschool setting or or at a K-12 school or an after-school program, the story of this game is going to keep your kids coming back and engaged to want to play all 12 at, at the very great. least 12 games. And I think that's an important quality. And I think it, it adds some new wrinkles to what may be a tired game to a lot of our listeners. Is it replayable after the end of 12 after games? After the end, it is, it, it is not. It is not. Okay. So that's just one good thing to know with the yeah. pandemic legacy. Yeah. yeah. Now, in, in fairness, you're probably going to be getting 15 to yeah. 18 games out of this. Yeah. Because you're not going you're to not win, win them all. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I know I'm not like most gamers, but the idea of getting a, ta- a game to the table. 12, 18 times. That's awesome. Is is rare. So, what's in the one spot, Doug? It's got to be Horrified Universal oh, Monsters. Yeah. Uh, so, Horrified, we talked about that one in episode, a lot of episodes actually. It showed up on uh, several high fives. Um, but that was episode three. We went into great detail on that one. And I don't know. I think it's the most approachable. The the theming is really well done. The artwork, it's kids enga- like it it's too. Engaging. I mean, that's I, I've played the this game with a lot of different kids. And I've played it with nieces. I've played it with with my own children. K- kids I, like this game. I think there's six six villains, five or six yeah, villains six, that are yeah. that are all different and have their own unique way to defeat them. So there's variability in the game. You've got different player powers. Well, then Frankenstein and the Bride, how they yeah. work together. There's, there's yeah. randomness. So there's there's a lot of variability in the box that this one is going to stick around for a while. Doug, that, this is a, a fantastic list. In the time that it took to go over the High Five Challenge, we could have cooked a brisket. I, I see you've grown <laughs> some facial hair, so yeah. let's come in. Coming in at number five, we have Chronicles of Crime, Five Minute Mystery, Forbidden Island, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, Castle Panic, and Just One. Coming in at number That's four. 5A, 5B, 5C. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to order them. I just put them all in five as you oh, talked I, about them. I put them. them in order. And then uh, number four, we have the Unlocked series. Number three, 
for our cooperative games in the game schooling setting is Marvel United. Number two is Pandemic Legacy Season 1. And coming in and first is Horrified. That is a great list, Doug. Now you understand why it was so hard to try and narrow that one down That's, to five. I mean, take, I still take feel three like, of those games. Yeah. You still feel like you left games out, don't you? Yeah, there's yeah. still games that are left off. You know, I didn't... Thanos Rising, the Harry Potter Rising, Fantastic Beasts. Like, there are so many. I mean, I'm a lover of cooperative games, but there are a lot. Walkstar, I didn't even put on the list, is a cooperative game on a Chinese restaurant. I will mention just keeps growing, ladies and gentlemen. Beep, bop, boop. If you need a recommendation on a a cooperative game, I am confident I can give you one of those. Should I give out your cell phone number here, Doug? No, you can give out email. (laughs) Email email at gameschooler.com. gameschooler.com. All right, so that wraps it up for the high 10 the high 15, the high 25. Um, Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GameSchoolerU. So we're posting, and our blog posts have become more regular. Yep, Tuesdays we're trying to throw them out there. Yep, we've got some high fives uh, are coming out on Thursdays. We've got some blog posts on Tuesdays, and then we're working on some more direct content that you can get into your classrooms yeah, uh, you in, the, in the near future. Some so resources on, for teachers. Yeah. Uh, be on the lookout for that. That's a, a new initiative that we're starting up. And I think that about does it, right? That's it. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening the last hour or so. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start game schooling.